The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Spinning kick. Johnson Culianos has room. DJK. What kind of speed does he have? Plenty. Touchdown, Iowa. They get it right back, 88 yards. And Eric, I will tell you, Darrell Johnson Culianos would not be down in touch football. Tremendous speed, and that's why he's one of the best return guys in all of college football. So Johnson Culianos already today with a receiving touchdown, and now with that touchdown on a kickoff, 88 yards. Stanzi trying to answer. The man is wide open. Caught. Darrell Johnson Culianos. Touchdown in the lead for Iowa. It all started with the protection, Sean. It's been the story all game long. This offensive line has given him all kinds of time, and it was six quick. Darrell Johnson Culianos, a 45-yard touchdown reception. Iowa has the lead. Hello once again, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the new football show from Hawkeye's Mike. This is the second of two shows this week as we offer our roundtable review, insight bowl preview, and year-end recruiting update. This show also features all of the Hawkeye's Mike regulars, former Hawkeye and NFL star Marv Cook, Hawk Central's Pat Hardy, and Hawkeye Insider publisher Rob Howe, along with Sean Patchett. You'll also hear in this segment from Iowa Offensive Coordinator coordinator Ken O'Keefe. And we continue to feature some of our favorite play-by-play calls from the 2010 regular season. These game highlights are courtesy of ABC, ESPN, and the Big Ten Network. A really nice job by all three networks covering the Hawks in 2010 with some of their top crews. We very much appreciate it and thank them. This is unprecedented ass-kissing. Complete again, and it's Johnson Culianos. Two plays. Two first downs for Iowa. Stanzi again. McNutt. McNutt to the end zone. Touchdown, Iowa. And just like that in three plays, Iowa gets into the end zone and regains the lead. The touchdown play from Stanzi to McNutt goes for 52 yards, and it's a five-point lead for the Hawkeyes. These football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefens Botanicals Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use and by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Here is fourth down from the 19. Chapel gets it away to the end zone, it's Belcher! Touchdown, Hoosiers! So now they're ruling this pass is incomplete from up here. It looked like DeMarlo Belcher came down with this football, and this entire stadium thought that Indiana was going to upset the Hawkeyes. Belcher could just not hang on to that football. After further review, the ruling on the field is confirmed. Incomplete pass. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. 
Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on up to 10 washings, moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet! Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. Visit prefins.com. You know, on Hawkeye Insider and other message boards and in the blogs, and it's always been easy over the years to criticize Ken O'Keefe. And we certainly can level criticism at him, especially when it comes to clock management and some other issues. But is it more fair? And I think I've heard all, all three of you say this. It really, if you want to, quote, blame somebody for Iowa's offensive problems, it's really Kirk Ferentz. It's not Ken O'Keefe, because Ken's just running Kirk's offense, period. Again, that goes back to what I was talking about earlier with the, the, the I guess, the philosophy of Coach Ferentz, which is the conservative, don't make mistakes offense, don't fumble the ball. We've, we've seen that through the years. He's not going to put a running back in there that's going to cough the ball up. Um, Adam Robinson, I don't think, had a fumble to the Michigan State game in his whole career. So, I mean, he's going to play that conservatively. He's going to bend but don't break defense. They're doing what the head coach wants to do. They're running his system. But uh, Ken O'Keefe is an easy target. I think, so Brian Ferentz said, there's, there's never an armchair defensive tackle or an armchair linebacker. It's an armchair quarterback. Everybody thinks they can run an offense. You can draw the play in the sand. You know, a sandlot, draw the play up. It's not that easy. And not to bring up a sobering comparison, but when that oil spilled in the Gulf, who did they ultimately blame? The CEO of BP. Kirk makes 10 times more money than Ken does. It, the buck stops with Kirk, and he'd be the first to tell you that. And he but, can go to Ken O'Keefe and say, listen, man, we can't keep running this conservative yeah. offense. Let's open this thing up. He's not doing no. that. So, no, I, the buck stops with Kirk, and I think, like I said, he'd be the first to tell you. He wouldn't run from that, but the offense is his offense. The defense is his defense. Those coordinators are his. Yeah, I think, like I said, there are things you can criticize Ken for. I'm not sure sometimes he feels like, you know, there's a nice offensive flow, and then all of a sudden we're making a right-hand turn, and and it just doesn't seem to make sense that there's the clock management issues. But Mars talked this year several times about when is it that we run trick plays or reverses when we get inside the red zone, and well, that doesn't make any sense. That reverse is so <laughs> There were times, hey, they're going to run a reverse. Hey, <laughs> Cheney's in the game. Cheney's in the game. They're going to run a reverse. And, I mean, because he couldn't catch the ball. They had to try to use him somewhere. But it got to the point where if Paul Cheney was in the game, you knew there. If we knew it up there, imagine what Bielam and those guys on the other teams did. I mean, it was so predictable. Yeah, I mean, I just think the timing's wrong because, you know, trick play, you're trying to hit a home run. You know, if it works, you, you get 25 yards and a touchdown. If it doesn't, you end up getting knocked out of field goal position. Exactly. And, and there's so many things that can go wrong in those trick plays, whether it's a botched pitch or something. So it's it just, it's, it's, it's ironic for me. And I was in the impression when Ken O'Keefe came from the division he came from, he was winning national championship. He was a wide open coach, four and five wide. And, and, and you know, that's, and we talk about players, and, and players want to play in that. You know, at least periodically, you know, get four or five and get empty and, 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 and spread it out and get, you know, your athletes in space. And, and you know, and I think that's the game's kind of changing that. And we just haven't, you know, we're not there because, I mean, we are we, we are. And it's, you know, a power football team. And, 
Um, and, and you need to be in the Big Ten. I, I truly believe that. But you know, you have to be able to be flexible and, and play to your strengths and hide your weaknesses. And you could honestly go back and 12 years ago watch an offense, and you'll see the same exact stuff for the most part in what we're doing offensively. Now, did it change much with Hayden over the years? Did he do all? I mean, he wasn't as conservative as Kirk, I didn't think, or did he, was he? Our, our offense was based on what the defense is doing. So if the defense is giving us a look, we we're going to run an offense that we thought was going to help us be effective. And I think we're more I was going to be, this is what we're going to do. We're going to run this down. And if, if you take it away, then we're going to come back with something else. But Hayden called your plays, right? He was, Bill Snyder was more of okay, the. Okay, Bill Snyder. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's right. <laughs> I forgot about him. He's not bad. Yeah. Bill but Snyder was the offensive coordinator. You look at it, I, I'm somebody who's followed recruiting for a while. Each year, it's the same story. You look, and I will be involved in five-star, four-star, this group of really highly regarded, they'll be in with Michigan or you know, Florida, Ohio State, where these really highly regarded wide receivers. And then at the end of the day, they're taking Paul Chaney, Marvin McNutt, Darrell, guys that were quarterbacks and moving them and trying to develop them into receivers because they're having trouble recruiting that position. Who are you putting in the NFL? Who are you, you know, who are you showcasing? That's what these kids want to do. And uh, Kirk's had success doing what he wants to do. He's put running back. Sean Green's been a great advocate for the, for the program. But I think maybe at some time you got to loosen it up a little bit and maybe change a little bit with the times. Well, we'll talk again about recruiting here. But that, what, you're a coach. So what if the head coach at Solon and the head coach at West Liberty and you know a couple of other schools started going into the newspapers and saying, hey, we figured Iowa's offensive scheme out. We know what they're going to do and when they're going to do it. And that's why we're able to succeed against them. I mean, how would you react as a coach? Yeah, you take, you take note of that. You'd make an adjustment to it and try to, try to use it to your advantage in some capacity. But, you know, I mean, I think the beauty of, of when you are great and like Wisconsin was great, it didn't matter. I mean, Wisconsin could line up and say, we're gonna run, we're gonna run zone over here. You know, when I was good on Hayden Fry, he'd say, just flip it, just run it the other way. He'd run the same play, and we'd just go back and forth like that. Just flip it, and we'd just go back, and they couldn't stop us. And when you're good, you can get away with that. But if you're, if you're not good, and that's what Bill Snyder was great about, is that we always ran plays that we felt like gave us the best opportunity for success based on the defense. If it was a cover three, we were going to run a square out combination. If it was cover two, we were going to, run, we were going to attack the middle. And, and so we're always trying to put our players in position to be successful uh, versus just saying, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to run zone, we're going to run zone, we're going to run zone, then we're going to play action off or we're going to boot. And, unless that X can block that O, it's not a good play. So then your basic philosophical argument here as a head coach is, do you, do you take an adaptive approach? Well, you look at your talent and you say, okay, this is what I think we can do best with these guys. That's or do you say... That's that, what you do as a coach. Right. you got to put, you put your players in position to be successful. Or is it accurate to say what Iowa does? Is, we don't care what our personnel is. This is what we're going to run. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't because we might or might not have the studs to do it. I think that's generally the mindset. That's, that's my perception. I think that's generally the mindset that we are who we are and we're going to do what we do. And, and, and for the most part, we're pretty good. We're pretty good at it. You know, I think defensively. I mean, like I said, I mean, I, 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 as negative as I sound, I still think we're a top ten team. You know, I'm telling you right now, if we played Oregon or we played, you know, one of these teams, we we could play. We could play Auburn and be, be we could we could probably probably beat them. 
I truly, truly believe that with the pe people we have. Well, not DJ K and Robinson out, but there's but, uh, some linebackers back too. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not so sure how. Iowa's defensive scheme would hold up against Oregon this year. I wouldn't want to be in we, game. Look, we, 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 we should have beat Wisconsin. Yes. And they're fourth. Ohio State. I mean, I mean, that's how good we are, in my opinion. Well, if you're going to play Oregon, number one, you better have an offense that can sustain some We would have thought we'd have done that to Georgia Tech last year. That's true. Just, we, but, you know, that's a little bit of a – that's really, in a lot of ways, a pretty conservative offense that, that Georgia that Tech runs. I mean, we always seem to play – Iowa plays its best against teams that tend to mirror us or have other conservative approaches. Teams that don't try to play in space. Right. Like they yeah. really struggle with elusive quarterbacks and teams that play in space. Well, we're going to see that against Missouri. Oh, yeah. Blaine Gabbard's 6'6", yeah. 235, but he can move. He can run, and they got a lot of athletes. All right. I've heard both of you guys talk on radio shows and post. Is it really realistic for fans to think that Kirk's going to change anything, either in schemes or coaching staff? Change may be a strong word. Tweak, I would use. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think he's going to fire any coaches. No. If that's what fans were waiting for, that ain't going to happen. No, and I don't think you're going to show up next year and see four wide like Warren was talking about. He's going to do what has got, you know, made him successful in the past. Will they try to do things differently special teams-wise? Uh, maybe take take some different approaches there. Um, he shuffled coaches, you know, coaches before. He took Eric Johnson off. Was Eric Johnson linebackers at one point? At least so, yeah. And now he's no, he was he's he was, tight end. He was tight ends. He was linebacker was at one time. Then he just yeah. you know he's moved. Lester Herb, he's moved around. I, I don't think he's beyond doing that. But I I'd be shocked if there were wholesale changes in philosophy or staff. What would it take for Kirk to make changes like that? I don't think Kirk thinks he needs to make changes. So I think it would take a change in Kirk's mindset. I don't think Kirk. I think Kirk looks at these things like, you know, we went 7-5 this year. The ball, we were so close to being 10-2. He's not going to panic. And I think last year, he's like, okay, we went 11-2. We could have very very easily have been 7-5 or 7-6. and six. I don't think he thinks that he needs to make changes. So They've why missed change? one bowl since 2001. Yeah, I think Kirk <laughs> thinks everything's fine. They just had sort of a, a down year, and that happens in athletics. Stanzi with all kinds of time. Got a man. Johnson Pulianos off to the races. Got in. Touchdown, Iowa. Iowa's all-time leading receivers would not be caught. 70-yard touchdown pass. But that play was set up by the ground game. Everything Iowa had going on the ground finally set up a big play. They had him open in the first half, guys. Missed it. It came right back to it in the second half. 17 unanswered points now for Iowa. Iowa Offensive Coordinator Ken O'Keefe had one of his rare meetings with the press during preparations for the Insight Bowl. O'Keefe assessed the Tigers' defense. Uh, they're, they're a very good football team, obviously. Uh, they're built on speed defensively. I would describe them, you know, I'd describe them uh, you know, as a very athletic team, uh, especially their, you know, their, their front seven. All their linebackers uh, can, can really run. Their DNs are, uh, are extremely talented. 
I think, uh, you know, right now, one of the things, if you look at them from a statistical standpoint, the things that you notice about them uh, most are, you know, they're giving up a little more than two touchdowns a game, but they are really stingy in the red zone. You know, not only in allowing people to score, but letting people score uh, touchdowns. It's probably the lowest that I can remember ever seeing, uh, you know, since, you know, we've played anybody here at Iowa. So, that you know, we've got to make sure we've got a great game plan for them, you know, you know inside. Uh, inside the red zone but they're a well-coached team they'll bring pressure a lot of different ways and uh, and again that's you know part of the reason they've got 38 sacks on the season as well um, and uh, you know they, they take pride in uh, in, uh, in really playing hard. O'Keefe was asked about the progress of freshman running back Marcus Coker who will be asked to shoulder the load in the bowl game. Originally when we threw him in it, it had been so far from when uh, the time from where we saw him in preseason for a couple days before he got hurt to the time he was ready to play again I think I probably had said that I wasn't sure what you know you, you couldn't really be sure what you you know what to expect and and now that he's been in some games you can expect him to you know run the ball physically and and uh, and and, uh, and run it tough which is what he you know what he likes to do and we you know we went back and looked at some of the ball games that he you know he got a chance to run it in you know especially you know the you know the Indiana the Michigan State State, you know the, you know those kinds of Minnesota. You know he's he's done a pretty good job of uh, you know of getting getting where we you know where we wanted him to get and moving the pile at times himself when he needed to. So, but you know this is uh, you know this uh, this is an opponent that's you know going to you know going to uh, you know offer some different challenges to him, and one of them is going to be in the blitz pickup game, obviously. But you know we really like the progress uh, Marcus has made, and we uh, you know we feel like he'll continue to get better all the time. O'Keefe talks about his team struggles to score points as the season went on you know it took us I think it took us a while to get going at times we've we've uh, we've survived a little bit on some big plays that you know made a, you know made a big difference and we weren't we probably weren't as good in the red zone in those games as we had been previously since you know maybe since the the Michigan State game probably is what you know we, we couldn't get it going at times uh, you know for one reason or another and then we made enough plays to but not you know at certain points but not enough in the end. Not you know, not enough in the end to get it done. And 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 we certainly weren't very good in the two in two minute by any means. As much as we tried to change it up, or you know, you know, always something something always got in our way. And we always talk about you know, in every successful two minute drive, you're gonna you're gonna face some adversity somewhere along the line. It could be a sack. It could be you know, it it could be anything. But you know, you've got to you've got to just work through it like it never happened. Overcome it and keep on marching. We we never were able to do that. And okay. Keith was asked about Iowa's difficulty in the two-minute offense. The key thing, making first downs. You got to make, you know, I mean, in, in a two-minute drill, you got you have to make first downs. And, and, you know, we have examples, I mean, before a half where we, you know, we chunked it down the field and, and, uh, and, and did some stuff gets a little tougher now depending on where you're starting from and uh, you know and how things start up but you know we talk to our guys about in two minute drill let's keep cool let's stay poised okay and keep you calm now let's think about making first downs and conserving the clock and that's really how we go about it you know because if you if you stay there's going to be a come a point where you got to do something you really got to push the ball down the field depending on what what's going on but that's how we'd like to go about it make the first downs okay we talk to our guys about if you're 
on you know on the numbers or outside get out of bounds if you're inside the numbers get up in there and do what you can to get the first down they both stop the clocks get the ball back you know to those officials as fast as you can keep you know keep moving you know yeah we work on it every week we work like crazy on it in preseason um we even worked extra time on it here you know in the back the back part of the season uh but you know it's it's all got to be you know it's all got to be executed and that's all i have to say about that Call in and express your opinions about the Hawks. To make your voice heard on HawkeyesMike.com, call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS and join our guest experts on weekly podcasts. Okay, let's go grade things. Let's do overall grades for the season, offense, defense, and special teams. Wow. Who wants to start? I'll start. I mean, C, C, D minus. C, I'll give the defense a C minus because it had so much more hype. I'll give a C, C minus, and a D minus. I can't give them an F because, I mean, they did show up every Saturday. <laughs> there was always 11 guys out of the field, so I'll go, yeah. And the freshman kicker had some nice moments. Yeah. Which is another story. How do you have two scholar guys yeah. on scholarship kicking and they get beat out by a walk-on? Who had some nice moments, but who also missed some pretty easy field goals at times. And Kirk never seemed really sold on his kicking game at all this year. But no, those are my grades. C, C minus, D minus. I'll go C on the offense. I'll go B on defense because I'm going to give him a little bit of a leeway because of the injuries? injuries at linebacker. I can see that. Um, they lost their top two middle linebackers, and, and Nielsen, I think, was a huge loss. And then special teams, I don't know, D, D minus, C minus, F, whatever. It was. depends on which day you ask. Uh, I don't know. I'm a, I, I got I mean, Special teams are just terrible. Just... Uh, incomplete is, is that is that a great extremely <laughs> um, frustrating but uh, you know and defensively I mean you know we, we, we talked about it briefly but I mean if you have a front four and you've got five linemen you can double a guy if you want to and if you're not bringing edge blitzes you're not changing your alignment and forcing you know moving guys around I think they moved Claiborne in inside and outside but you know I mean it's easy to see why they're able to take Claiborne out because we are a four-man front. We don't bring a lot of blitzes, so they can slide the line to them. They can always have a back in there, chip in the back. Doesn't have to necessarily worry about a corner blitz or a safety blitz or an inside backer blitz or dual read or something like that. And so you can take guys like that out. And I think that's where we got to be more creative defensively and, and put stress on and get Claiborne in situations and get Ballard and those guys in situations where they can go to town on these offensive linemen because I thought they they were pretty darn talented. Uh, so I'm frustrated. I, you know, I, I, I'd say B defensively, and then offensively a C. I mean, I, and, and I, I say that, and I truly, I, I keep hearing Pat say, you know, 10 and 2 is a good season for us. And I'm like, that's not right. I mean, tell me what game we shouldn't have won. I mean, I, I get back to Indiana. We, we won that. You're right. That's good. That was a good point. That's a good point. That's the game we should have. You're right. That, that's a, and we really won it. I mean, I, I truly truly believe that across the board it's a group of guys that if they lined up and they they and we were to play Auburn or Alabama on January 1 they'd be ready to play and we go after them we get after them Sean had to step out so I'll, I'll give our collective grades I, I would give the offense a C minus 
um, I would give the defense a B because I blame the offense partially for the defense's problems. <laughs> That's and fair. The linebacker injuries I think were significant. And I, I guess I give the special teams a D only and not an F only because the return aspect of special teams was, you know, halfway decent. So, yeah, I mean, special teams have so many different components. It's we get so hung up on all, all their bad aspects, of which there were many. I'll change my defense to a B minus after hearing you guys with the injuries and what have you. But I still say they failed to make that last big defensive stand in too many games this year. And to me, that's where the minus comes in. They had chances to be the star of that team and carry that team to victories, and they just didn't do it too many times this year. Okay, maybe a tougher question. What's your grade for the head coach? I'd, I'd be more apt to say as a coaching staff, because I think that's fair. That's uh, you know, everybody's got their own responsibility. I think, uh, I don't think this was one of their best years. You know, we talked about the Wisconsin things. We talked about um, decision-making in other games and, and how things went. I still, to this day, I don't think Adam Robinson should have been in that Michigan State game in the fourth quarter. You know, I, Kirk can't pretty, I don't think Kirk was putting the kid in harm's way and thought he'd get a concussion, but I just think intelligent-wise he shouldn't have been in the game. I'd probably say... I'm going to go B minus, C plus, somewhere in there. I only grade students. I don't grade coaches. So I'll, I'll just say I'll use I'll use a, a, a saying that has been used: "You get what you deserve." Kirk says that. And that's yes. a good one. Yeah, he does. It's <laughs> true. And, and I think as a staff, you get what you deserve to some extent as well. I'll grade anybody. I'm going to say <laughs> I'm going to say C minus, just because. Too many, what seemed like coaching issues, came back to haunt this team this year. Clock management, questionable play calls. And I normally don't ride coaches much because every coach on that staff has forgotten more about football than I'll ever know. But I am there watching the product every Saturday, and there were times where it took too long to get the plays. And there's times where there did seem to be a breakdown in communication. So, but yeah, CC minus somewhere in that. They've had better years. I guess I'd go C minus, but it disturbs me when a coach says, I don't know what's wrong, which is essentially what Kirk was saying after the Minnesota game, you know. Some coaches will try to tell you something that's wrong even when they don't know and they'll just say. So I guess it just depends. I mean, a lot of coaches will say the wrong thing in that situation. So I think you can look at it both sides. I, I think Kirk was stunned they lost that Minnesota game. And when you guys were talking to him afterwards, I'm not sure he knew what he was going to say. I don't think he expected that scenario at all. To me, that was almost like if you guys would have lost to one of those games I saw you play this year. I mean, I think there were, there were, games, there were games going into where you knew you weren't going to lose. And had you lost, that post game would have been a little weird, wouldn't it have been? Mm -hmm. You would have been sitting there like, how did this just happen? I think Kirk got, got caught up with that a little bit. I guess in, in, after what you said, I'll still stick with a C minus, but I, you know, maybe it was a very heartfelt answer. Yeah. Because you know, he, he hasn't looked real spiffy the last couple of weeks, and I'm not sure it was all due to the I still think it's a, one of the things we talked about is that how this is a fluid situation right now with a lot of things, yep. coaches and players and, 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 you know, I mean, a lot of things have happened the last two weeks. A lot of things could happen the next couple of weeks. And, you know, go back to stands he didn't start or, or uh, DJ didn't start till the first quarter of the last game. And, and, and at what point did this thing start unraveling? Robinson said the first quarter against Ohio State. State. You know, it, there, there's, you know, there's something 
there's something that just, and, and you look at the way they played. I mean, they, they were, like I said, they, they were playing at such a high level through week six and seven, and then all of a sudden just wham, it just, it just looked like it, it was gone. And, and, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's still all to be played out. And, and it's just, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's been an uh, amazing two months in Iowa football. That's a nice, go ahead. Well, it kind of reminds me, and you, I think you were a true freshman, 1984. You guys went seven, four, and one. That team was way better, had injuries, struggled after the injuries, but then came back and destroyed Texas. in the Freedom Bowl to go 8-4-1. At that time, that 7-4-1, that wasn't a good feeling. Then when they destroyed, if Iowa comes out and just puts a whipping on Missouri, to me, this will be very much like the 84 season, and that kind of went into the 85. Now, I don't think the 80, unlike 84, this team's not set up to do what the 85 team does. That's what, to me, makes this season so disappointing, because I see 500 for next team and next year's team at best, 500 or 7-5, and five. so then you're into a two-year rut now again, and you start to ask yourself, how long is this going to last? Well, I think if they go to the insight and just destroy Missouri, I think that even brings up more questions. So what the heck what happened? happened in November if yeah. they were able to put this together and get things? I mean, it would be a great job by the coaching staff to be able to get the wheels back on, but then you wonder what went on. What went on in November? Oh, you're right, and I don't think they will destroy I don't think we're going to no. see a repeat of what happened to, in the 84. I just don't see that happening. But you look at this year's team. I would, I would definitely say this year's team more talent than the 2014 with Tate when you had no running backs. Oh, I know there were. I mean, definitely. there were Roth and Babino, there were Consonine, there were a lot of good players on that team. But I think if you, when we look back at things, there are going to be quite a few players on this year's team that end up playing at the next level. Oh, I agree. Well, how, how much before we turn to the ball? How much pressure, additional pressure, do you think? is on Ferentz because of the new contract. Do you think he feels any at all? No. Do you think Barta does? I think Barta just feels great to be in the same room <laughs> I really do. They're I, still filling up the stadium. They're still selling merchandise. And I don't think Kirk thinks there's anything seriously wrong. He's been through this before. 05, 06, every, 07, everyone thought it was over again. Kirk stayed the course. I think if he, I think he believes if he keeps doing what he believes in, eventually it's going to work itself out again. And this was just maybe just kind of a hitch, to he, a hitch in their get along. And there could have been something that went on within the players, clicks, you know, that, within the team that coaches can't control. And that happened back when they hit the last skid. Yeah. Was you know there were clear, you know Tate wasn't getting along with people you had different guys going their own way that could have happened again this year it's tough tough to to stay up on top of that mountain like they got to last year than it is to get there and I think well, I mean, he, that's the challenge yeah. now for him to put it back together you know to go down this contract road is sort of slippery slope but it, you know if you're right Pat and we're looking at a couple more years of around 500 football it's one thing I, I mean we're throwing around numbers now that the average Iowan especially in this economy uh, you know, couldn't even dream of. But if you're a head coach and getting paid two and a half million and you're going seven and five, people are probably going to say, well, okay, you know, at a school like Iowa. If you're a head coach and you're going seven and five or six and six or five and seven and you're getting paid four million a year and that happens for three years, that could be a problem. He'll feel the heat, but it's apples and oranges. The athletic department <coughs> self-sustained. It, it feeds itself. He brings in the money that basically he gets paid for. Um, but yeah, he goes three years in a row with 500 teams. The heat will be on. But I don't think, as, as what he's been through here with this program, I don't think he cares. I really don't. He's got a contract till till 
what, 2020? And he believes um, in himself. Yeah. And he's confident he's confident that what he's doing is right. So unless somebody, unless Sally Mason or Barter can go into his office and say, hey, Kirk, you need to get rid of O'Keefe, that ain't going to happen. Because no. Kirk would leave before he let that in, into his program, I think. Before we look at the bowl and wrap up, any sort of closing thoughts on what's occurred the last couple of weeks off the field? Or has everything been said? Well, what I wrote about was I still say if they'd finished 11-1 and one this year, Darrell's arrest would have been a shock and it would have been a traumatic experience for everybody, but we would not have had that press conference because the rumors would not have been near as bad. Rumors are bad to begin with, but they're fueled even more so when there's a disappointing season. I don't think that this team is any more in on drugs than any other Iowa team. I mean, I, I don't think, I think it's safe to say that you could look back at Iowa football for the last 30 years and there's players on every team that have used drugs. I mean, I mean, I, maybe I'm wrong or whatever. I just think this was an unfortunate circumstance with Darrell and it came at a really bad time and you just had a snowball effect of everything converging together. And then with the social network and everything, it was a perfect storm of rumors and innuendo and they felt they needed to nip it in the bud, but to me, I don't think the press conference is even, I don't know why they even had it, because to me, okay, if you don't have a problem with drugs on this team, why are you having this press conference? They obviously have some issues with their drug testing policy, but I'm not going to read anything. I don't think this team is any different than any other team. No, it's hard to, I mean, I think the natural assumption for people is to say, Darrell couldn't have been doing this on his own. There had to have been other guys on the team doing it. There may have been. And there may have been, but to assume that and to assume that the program's going, you know, down the, the drain, <laughs> going down the pot, um, <laughs> I think that's, but again, that's the world we live in now. It's social media, it's Twitter, it's Facebook, it's people talking, people saying, my sources say, there's a, you know, it's some guy, a fan on Twitter or Facebook. Their yeah. source is like the guy, the butcher, or somebody like that, and then it just takes on a life of its own. Yeah. And I think Iowa did the right thing the other day, trying to slow it down a little bit, because that thing was a runaway train. One of, one of the I still don't know what Adam Robinson did. <laughs> well, and that's it. A, sounds that, like his was a lack of consistently going to class. Yep. And they're sending a message to him and. It's too bad it got lumped together. And exactly. Jewel sounds like what it was almost a mini sap type thing, a collection of things. We heard about some of it. We didn't hear about some of it. But then Darrell's arrest just kind of threw a, a, everyone wanted to paint him with a broad brush. But I just, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm naive to think that this team is no different than any other Iowa team. I think Kurt looks at the, each situation and says, okay, this is what Jewel did. You're going to do all these things. This is what I'm going to need out of you. If you want to stay here, you're doing these things. If you want to go, you go, and the player goes. And there were guys busted for drugs for the Iowa football back in the 80s, even during the glory years. There were guys. I, well, I remember a guy Derek that, Robinson. Yeah, I mean, it happens. I mean, during White France. Sister. I mean, Randy Twitt. I mean, there were names of guys that I remember way back in the, the day. There's always been drug issues. That's just the way it is. And that doesn't mean those guys are bad guys or whatever. You make stupid decisions in college. Sometimes you get caught, sometimes you don't. Well, I think what they said was very carefully worded. And now that we have a clear understanding that the, that the testing policy, the first time you test positive is not a suspension barring some other circumstances, then, you know, maybe some of the things flying around on the message boards and elsewhere about 
11 starters or 10 starters and 23 players, you know, maybe there have been other players test positive in the last I'm month. I'm sure there have been. But, and we're not going to know about it because they're in the program and they're dealing with it in the way they normally deal with it. And, and I trust the people at the university. They know what they're yeah. doing and they can handle it. One of the, actually the last question I got in from listeners, and one of the listeners was this at, at Marv. How and I'm sure they're talking about DJK, he, he didn't say this specifically, but how does a player's self-absorption affect <laughs> team dynamics, especially when it's a star player? Well, that's, that's tough, because I mean, DJK's been such a great player for us, and you know, and, and I, I don't know the dynamics of, of you know, on the field, but or off the field or in the locker room, but I mean, when he's on the field, he's a great football player. And he's done a lot of great things for Iowa. And, and to some extent, there's a workmanlike atmosphere around Iowa football and the way Kirk does it, and you get better every day. And, and, and if you go out there and you play well on Saturdays and you do a good job, I mean, at some point, the, the chemistry and the friendship, I don't need to be your friend. I need to respect you to some extent for what we're all in this together, but ultimately I don't need to be your friend off the field, downtown, hanging out with the same people, doing the same thing and sharing the same interests. And there's enough of a different uh, diversity inside a football team, you know, 120 guys. I mean, you got to talk about different economic, social, you know, racial backgrounds that, you know, not everybody's going to get along. Uh, but ultimately, you got to have a common goal and a common effort. And it seemed to me that you know when he came out and played, he played well and, and helped his team win for the last three, four years. So um, you know the other stuff, I think, really as bad as that sounds, you want everybody to be you know in this together and and uh, you know holding hands and all that stuff. But at some you know at some point, it's about going out and winning football games. You know, Ronnie Harmon was often accused of being self-absorbed, and I'd hate to see those Iowa teams without him. I mean, he showed up on game day. I know he was a fancy dresser and wore a lot of jewelry and whatever, but I mean, he came to play just like Darrell did. I mean, part of being a good teammate is doing your job and playing well and helping the team win. And it's hard to argue that Darrell, he showed up every game. How does the, boy, if you look back at the, some of the topics we've been discussing tonight, it fits right in, but how does the negativity that just explodes on the message boards and in the blogs, um, after losses, but even after wins, sometimes does that? How does that affect players? I mean, are they aware of that? I know Kirk says he hates the social media and they don't read the newspapers and all of that. But I mean, does is this is this just the nature of social media and the nature of society today? It's easier to express it in ways that can mushroom, and that's just the way it is. And if so, how does that affect a team? How does that affect a team psyche, or does it not? It's a good question. I don't know as, there'd probably, there'd probably be a handful maybe of, of Iowa players right now that don't have a Facebook account. I think it's just the norm these days. And I don't know, I don't know if it affects the players as much. Um, because they're more used to it, I guess. They're, they're used to conversing with people on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. I mean, there are coaches in this country that have banned players from using those types of social media. What happened this year, right? There was one game. Well, it was Bo Pelini. 
when that Fisher kid, the brother of the Iowa recruit, broke his leg in practice, someone, a media guy was there the, and the, tweeted it. There's that, and then there was also, I think, I know it happened with Trey Strauss last year after he dropped the passes at Ohio State. He People Facebooked him. Ripped him. Put stuff on his social media account and said, and just ripped him apart. And that happened again this year with another game, and I just, it's... It's escaping me right now, well, but the Boise State kicker got him. Oh, yeah, yeah, somebody yeah, else yeah. on Iowa too this year. I may have been Sash. Here, here's my take on that. I, I, I feel bad because I, I I see it both ways. I think the BCS is killing college football. Did we do enough? Did they do enough to win? Did they win by enough? You know, Sunday night. Did they move up in the BCS standings? It's not about did we win on Saturday? Did we win the game? You know, my, my eight-year-old son after the Indiana game was going crazy, going crazy, just excited that Iowa won. I was mad. I was disappointed. I was frustrated. I was like, what's going on with these guys? Instead of just the, the idea of we get 11 or 12 Saturdays, did we win? And that, you know what I'm saying? That's all football used to be. Did we win on, did we win Saturday? And then we move on to the next Saturday. And then we add them up at the end, and someone tells us whether we get to play another game or not. And we've gotten away from that. I've gotten away from that. And I feel bad because the expectations get in there and, 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 and wanting greatness and championships and, and all that other stuff. Instead of just, you know what, we'll add it up at the end and we'll figure it out. We've gotten away from that element of it. And that's, and that's, a, that's, that's a shame. And, uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with BCSs and, and rankings and and all that other stuff, and, and, and it's, it's too bad because it's taken away from some of the purity of the game. I know what I was going to follow up with, your comments a minute ago, and, and then we tar- started talking about Ronnie Harmon, and it threw me off. Um, the listener's question about maybe a, a selfish player or two and how that impacts the team. Do good teams have policemen on them, you know, the leaders inside the team who will go up and grab somebody like that by the scruff of the neck and say, shape up. I mean, we've heard a couple of stories the last week or two about maybe a couple of those instances going on at Iowa. I mean, did you have those on yeah, your team? Yeah, I remember we were losing at Minnesota at halftime up in the Dome one time, and I was diving for cover because Jeff Drost was going absolutely nuts. And he was going to hurt somebody, and I was getting out of the way because he was throwing everything he could get his hands on, and it was big and mean. He was tough, and you know, and you kind of knew it walking through the dorms. You know, that was the other thing. We we stayed in the dorms through four years, so you know, we all kind of pleased each other up in the dorm rooms. But you know, there, there's a little bit of that. There's some of those guys that would grab you by the back of the neck and 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 reel you in and make sure you're behaving and taking care of each other. And, but you know, they're they're. They're grown men, and they're going to make decisions. And, and we would see guys make the bad decisions. It happens all too often, unfortunately, in, in, uh, in college and pros. There's no, there's no difference. High school kids do the same thing. I mean, it's just. Yeah. Is, it, is that part of the leadership council concept, though, on Kirk's teams? I mean, aren't they supposed to? I, I hate to use that excuse that you can only watch so many but you really can I mean you can't be with everybody all the time it's it's impossible there are what with walk-ons 105 players that's hard you just don't have enough and like Mark said they don't all hang out to it with each other either you know and I the, the interesting that thing that I was thinking about the other day is you get I think it was Arvell Nelson and James Cleveland get caught with drugs in their room in their rooms you know prescription drug stuff like that 
that kind of went away. I mean, it wasn't as big. And now you look at the advancement of social media and, and everybody has a voice now. The DJK thing, although definitely at least the charges are more serious than what Arvell and James Cleveland went through, just a different level of people blowing up and, you know, the 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 rumor mill starting and churning a lot more now, and I don't think that thing's stopping. I think that's no, going get, to get worse. And that's, again, for Coach Ferentz, he's not old by any means, but... He's old-fashioned. He yeah, he's old-fashioned, and he grew up in a different era, and he's got to kind of keep up with this stuff because it's going to infiltrate your program to some degree. Okay, let's turn to the inside ball. Previews. What do you think? What's going to happen here? Missouri looks to me like brings a lot of the same scheme issues that, that plagued Iowa. The scene that played against Minnesota shows up, they're going to lose like 31 to 10. But I'm not ready to assume that team's going to show up. I still think, I still think Missouri's going to win a close game because I need to be convinced again that this Iowa team knows how to win a close game again. I have Missouri winning a game like 28-20. Something like that. How do you see... I see Blaine Gabbert hurting him with his legs and his arm. I think Missouri's a pretty good team. You don't win 10 games by accident. They got a lot of weapons on offense. I think their defense is good enough to hold its own against Iowa. Let's face it, Iowa's going to be missing its best all-around player in Darrell, its best running back. I don't think Tarpinion's going to be 100%, and obviously Bruce Davis isn't going to be there. Um, Tyler Nielsen's not going to be there. They're going to have be very shorthanded against a pretty good Missouri team. We'll see. In terms of, again, going back to Norm coming back, he's he's a guy that's had success in these positions before where he gets some time to come up with a scheme, to come up with a plan, and um, they're not going to, again, they're not going to change uh, much from what they do base-wise, but if he has a chance to study Missouri, which he has, he usually, like Paterno, can come up with some type of a, a plan to, to neutralize the other team. But again, like Pat said, the personnel issues, there's nothing you can do about it. You can't bring Tyler Nielsen back. You can't, you know, you, you, you can't have Tarpinian. Tarpinian sounds like he's an if, you know, maybe. That's what Fer Ferentz sounded like on his show last night. So you still got to make up for those absences, and, you know, sometimes coaching can't do that. I, I think this is a group of guys, I think this is a senior class that has played an unbelievable amount of great games and has given Iowa a ton of great memories over the last three years. And, and as frustrated as I sound and, I've, and as negative as I've been tonight, I apologize <laughs> to all the listeners, but I, I still love these guys. I still love this team. I, I, I think... You know, they, they have a chance to go out and, and be, you know, be the only group of guys that have ever won three straight bowl games and, and pretty good bowl games at that. So from a competition standpoint, I think Missouri was a great draw for them. It's, it's going to be enough of a motivational factor for them to get ready and go out and want to play well and, and represent themselves and to go out on this kind of note and be the first group of seniors that have won three straight bowl games, I think is too much for them. And I think because they, they, this is a game, in my opinion, that's going to have the same atmosphere as a Michigan. Michigan State type of, of, of mentality, and I think that that's the game that they play well, and they'll, they'll play well again. I have no doubts that they'll go out and play extremely well. I think they'll be, they'll be the offense t of team that we anticipated them being the first five or six weeks. So I, I think it's going to be a great game for Iowa. You've alluded to it throughout the show, but this really, in my mind, is a pretty important game for this team right now. 
I mean, but Gifford could finish an eight and five but, and seven and six. But to me, it's sort of a statement game, and it's going to make a statement either way. Either a win or a close game, well played, will make a statement. Another game like God, let's hope it's not Minnesota, but even Northwestern or Indiana is going to make a statement the wrong way. Well, we were talking about how does all this affect recruiting? Yep. You know, I think that's a great question. If we go out and lay an egg and look bad, it's going to be a massive drain. But if we go out and, and we refocus and we play Iowa football and, and, and we're on that national stage again and we show people, hey, Iowa football has locked it down the last three weeks, this is how we play, I think it's a stepping stone. It can be a positive going forward in the recruiting process. So it's a big, it's a huge game. It's a really important game from a from a national perception standpoint as well. What are you going to look for in the first five or six minutes of this ball game? For me, it's emotion. Like we've talked about, they didn't play with enough emotion this year a lot of times, and especially in November. I want to see a team that comes out there and tries to step on Missouri's neck. You know, take it to them. Be nasty. Be physical. Be what you are when you're successful at Iowa. If they're going to go out there and be passive like they were at Minnesota, it's going to be a long day, a long night, late night, I guess it is. <laughs> we have to run the ball effectively. We have to be able to get in third and shorts consistently, and if we can't do that, we're going to have problems. I mean, it's just we're not built to line up and throw it 50 times, although I think we can and do that, but I just think that that's not who we are. So we have to run the ball. Yeah, and see that swagger. I mean, see that, you know, that, that offensive lineman running 20 yards downfield, knocking the safety off the running backs. Uh, that type of mentality of, uh, uh, you know, we're going to dominate and be physical, be more physical than you. And that's the key, both offensively. If we can be more physical in Missouri, then we'll definitely win the game. I agree with that. I think one interesting kind of sideshow to all this is McNutt and Claiborne, offense, defense, both from Missouri. They're going to want to I think Claiborne, maybe he's going to reach deep and have that great spectacular game and get the people to feed off him and what have you. So I think the emotion thing is going to be interesting. I think those two guys may have something to do with it. But I still say without Darrell, who's going to stretch that? Cheney on a reverse. He's also a Missouri guy. <laughs> he's also a Missouri guy. <laughs> he's a Missouri guy. Right. They may run like four fighters. <laughs> well, this is Nordman's chance to shine. Yeah, right? yeah, okay, true. so who is, who is your pick for the person who needs to step in and take that BJK role to be a really a big play, playmaker in this game? I think it could be more than one guy. I think it could be Sandem and Davis. Yeah, in a different way. Sandem's yep. not going to get beyond the safety and streak pass guys. It's got to be Keenan Davis and Colin Sandem. At some point, Keenan Davis has got to step up and start showing what we thought he was going to be. To me, and I'm not trying to knock on him, but I thought he was kind of a disappointment this year. He just doesn't. Half his career's over. See, yeah, half of his career's over. He just doesn't seem to play it. He hasn't figured out the tempo at this level. He doesn't get open. He, to me, has to step up. Marcus Coker. We have to run the ball. I mean, we have to run the ball. He's got to rush for 160 yards. I would agree with that. And Riley Reef, you know, the tackle. Yeah, I agree. So, it's Coker's breakout game. So you're Pat, saying 28-20, Missouri, Marv? I hope I'm wrong. 31-17, Iowa. I will go 27-24, Missouri. Can I make my pick after the first five minutes of the game? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I came in here thinking there's no way you, you can logically pick Iowa in this game. And usually when I do, they lose. So, I don't know, you know. It depends. Do you think they can yeah. be the team that played against Wisconsin and Michigan State, or are they going to be the team that played against 
Northwestern and Minnesota. I might be tempted to say 27 to 17, Missouri. Uh, it, it, I just hope this, that how many Iowa fans are going to be in a complete panic if it's like a four-point game with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter? That's right! We can't have anyone freak out out there, okay? We've got to keep our composure. We've come too far. There's too much to lose. We've got to keep our composure. Blitz off the corner. Stanzi got hit. Throws. Caught. Touchdown, Marvin McNutt. John, we said at the start of the game that for Iowa to have a chance, Stanzi's going to have to play his best game. With a minute left in the first quarter, he's off to a fantastic start. Iowa knew they'd get a lot of those blitzes off the corner from the blind side of Stanzi. He survived that blitz, hit McNutt, who caught two touchdown passes last year against Ohio State in Columbus. We're visiting again with Hawkeye Insider's Rob Howe about Iowa's football recruiting. Rob, overall, how would you assess the Hawks recruiting at this point in the process? It's hard to tell sometimes with Iowa, with their classes compared to maybe other classes of schools like Ohio State, Michigan, you know, the, the blue blue bloods, if you will, where you're, you're looking at four and five stars across the board. Sometimes with Iowa, you get a two or a three star kid that ends up being, you know, at the end of the day, when he's being judged for the NFL, he's a four or five star. But I like this class. I mean, I, you look from needs, they've got three really, to me, really solid offensive line commitments. And Jordan Walsh, who's a four star out of Chicago, uh, locally out of Williamsburg, you've got uh, Austin Blythe. And then Dan Heyer, the junior college kid that, that committed late. You know, those are three, an area where you've, you're going to need kids in the next few years they did well there uh the quarterback jake ruddick could be a program type changer he's that type of player uh where he could come in and just um you know he's played against such top top competition playing in south florida in the state of florida won a state championship he's solid i think the one area where the i'd like to see them hit a little harder and we're gonna have to see how this class finishes out uh is wide receiver a lot of guys out of the program here in the next few years at that position and then running back i think they need to with with what's happened here at the end of the season they're gonna have to they're gonna have to get two solid running backs in this class i think they don't have to but i think that's kind of an area where they're gonna have to do some work talk a bit about iowa's needs at running back especially after melvin gordon of wisconsin switched from the hawks to wisconsin they only have one other commit who's listed at that position Tory Campbell, and they're in the hunt for four-star Rodney Cole. Yeah, and Tory uh, Campbell, the kid from uh, Barry Collier, is going to be a cornerback, so he's not a running back recruit. So they're in the top two for Cole. They're, they've got some guys coming in here. They had uh, Trey Carson, a kid from Texas, uh, who went to Michael James's high school, uh, who's also visiting Oregon and several other schools. He was in early in December, mid-December. Got uh, Mikhail McCall as a running back. He was a former verbal to Michigan State, but now he has Iowa very high on his list. So those are, I mean, those are guys that have other prominent programs involved with them. 
I, I think he could make up for the loss of Melvin Gordon. And then Rodney Coe. If you could beat Illinois for him, uh, he's close to Illinois being in Edwardsville, the University of Illinois. If you can get him here and then one of these other guys, I think you're fine at running back. What about recruiting at the wide receiver position? They have a couple of commits right now in Austin Vincent and Marcus Grant. Those guys are real solid. Vincent tore his ACL towards the end of the year, so that's kind of a hit. I, I'm not sure he would have played as a true freshman anyway. He's kind of a developmental guy. Marcus Grant's a solid, solid guy, but I was, I think you need to get three or four receivers in this class. I really do. I think with, you talk about Darrell being gone now, McNutt leaves next year, Sandham and Cheney, they don't have a lot in the pipeline. Uh, you know, you should have Keenan Davis, but, you know, is Jordan Cotton going to step through? Uh, Kevon Martin Manley's a redshirt kid this year. Is he going to be able to step? I think you need to back up in this class with three or four kids, and they lost a, they lost a receiver in this class that they had committed to Corey Shepard out of uh, Texas. He committed and went to Kansas. So they're still in. They have Armstead Williams from uh, Gateway High School in the Pittsburgh area. Uh, big kid who's kind of like a Christian French being recruited as a linebacker, a tight end, and a wide receiver. I was looking at him as a wide receiver. Kendrick Roberts from Flint, Michigan. Another kid that's been here, hasn't taken his official yet, but big 6'3 type athletic and strong receiver. He's going to come in. Um, so they're still on the board with some some decent kids at that position. If they can get another one or two of those guys, I think that really strengthens a need in this class. Iowa has a very good quarterback commit in Jake Rudick out of Fort Lauderdale. We both got a chance to watch him lead his team to the Florida 5A state championship this past week. A very impressive senior season for that kid. Yeah, big, you know, tall, 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", somewhere in there. It depends on where you see him listed. Uh, Usually falls somewhere in the middle. Solid kid, can run the football has a, has a as we talked about earlier has a, has a very quick release very strong arm uh, and he plays against great competition you know it was down to he wanted to make his decision early uh, before the season and he did that uh, it was down to Iowa and Wisconsin Iowa beat Wisconsin out for him which was somewhat of a coup because James White the Big Ten freshman of the year uh, was the running back uh, for, for Rudox St. Thomas Aquinas team last year and there are several guys from that school that are at Wisconsin and yet the kids still chose to come to Iowa I think there's an opportunity here for him uh, we don't know we don't know what's behind Rick Stanzi. Uh Ken O'Keefe was asked about that in a, a recent press conference and he said you know he kind of he wouldn't commit to okay this is the guy that is going to step in and, and, and take the take the reins from Stanzi and run with him. I think Vandenberg can be that guy. You got, you know, John Winky behind him, and then you got A.J. Derby, who's red-shirted, and really, those are, the, those are the three guys coming back on scholarship next year, so there's an opportunity here for Ruddick. Will he come in and, you know, dart ahead of uh, Vandenberg next year? That's kind of hard to believe, uh, you know, in the Kurt Ferentz era, I think Kate is the only one that's actually uh, played as a true freshman, and he was behind uh, Nathan Chandler that one year, so, but I think Jake can come in here, and maybe not right away challenge, but he's a kid that could come in maybe and challenge by his red shirt freshman year and um, I don't think he'll be in awe of anything here as I said because I think he I, I think he's played as, as, uh, you know I've seen him on TV probably three or four times this year and a few times last year he's used to the spotlight so I don't think he's going to come here in awe and that's uh, that's nice to know. We talked some about this with Marvin Pat but how much will Iowa's performance in the Insight Bowl potentially affect recruiting for the Hawks? Yeah it's kind of a fluid situation John and it's you know it's hard to say what 
impacts these kids sometimes, but I think when you go into a, you know, when Iowa was going into living rooms this spring and even junior days back, you know, last Feb, January and February, a year ago from today, you're coming off an Orange Bowl win. Um, you know, you're the toast of, uh, you know, you're one of the teams that's the toast of college football. It's easy to go into a living room. Uh, if they... You know, if, if they stink it up at the insight bowl, you, you're coming off three straight losses to end your regular season, then you stink it up against the school in Missouri who you recruit against a lot in the St. Louis area and who have had some really good players in the 2012 class that you're going up against Missouri and Illinois for. Um, that could affect that. I don't know if it's going to affect this 2011 class as much because a lot of the guys that they're still looking at and the guys that they have in the fold, I just I don't see them as looking at that one game and, and uh, really putting too much stock in it. I think they've already kind of been sold on what I was about. But I think if you go into that next, like I said, that 2012 class uh, on a downer, it makes it that much harder because, you know, you look at the schools that Iowa recruits against, Nebraska, um, Missouri, Michigan State, Wisconsin, you're talking about schools that have had really good seasons this year, and that's going to be a, you know, that'll be a, a mark on your record that those those schools are going in a certain direction, and people may be questioning if, you know, are you go are you going from seven and five or seven and six? Are you going back to the eleven and two, or is it going to you know six and six next year? And I think that's that can be harmful. What's your sense of how some of these off the field issues might impact recruiting? Definitely can affect recruiting. If there's a if there's a perception out there that Iowa has a lack of institutional control in any regard, uh, whether it be academically, uh, with what's happened with Durrell, uh, and you know them holding a, a press conference about drug testing, um, those things all get out there nationally. The other coaches and the other recruiters around the country, uh, the schools we talked about who they recruit against. I'm not saying that they're going to come out and just neg- just negatively slam Iowa. But it's out there for them to use, uh, however subtly they want to use it. And if that stuff continues into the January and February, as I talked about earlier, where you have junior days, you know, John, you and I are parents. If we're hearing that stuff and we're thinking about sending our kids somewhere and there's a, you know, there's a perception that there's something going on at the university that you don't, I mean, you got to you got to question yourself whether or not you want to send your kid there, especially when you have other solid options in, in schools that are recruiting you. So, yeah, if if this thing if this thing starts to snowball before, after, during the bowl game, that's something to be concerned about. Rob, there's a lot of discussion about the rankings of potential recruits, and some fans are convinced that, for example, an Iowa commit with three stars might be listed as four or five stars if they were committed to an Ohio State or. Alabama. I, you know, I think there's something to that, John. I don't know as it's, I don't think it's across the board, but there are, you know, if a kid commits to a Notre Dame, Florida, Ohio State, USC, um, even before they commit, if those are the type of schools that are, have offered, that bumps them up. It just does. I mean, that's the perception, whether you be, you know, it be at where I work, it's at scout.com or Rivals or 247 Sports or ESPN. I think they all factor that in. A, a good example is a kid that was out here on an official visit recently. Um, 
um, from McKeesport, Pennsylvania, uh, Delvon Simmons, a defensive tackle, was a two-star kid going into probably the middle of the season. I'm thinking like end of October, middle of November. Um, Iowa offered, uh, Penn State offered, Florida offered. He's now a four-star kid. <laughs> I don't think he changed that much from the summer to the middle of the season. I think it was more of a factor of, oh, wow, you know, these schools are offering. He's got to be better than a two-star. And he went from probably, I would say, ranged, ranked at his position from, you know, 60s or 70s in the country. And now I think he's a top 20 or 15 kid at his position. That's that's kind of the that's the kind of jump that people look at and say, "Wow, that's uh, that that kind of proves or gives credence to the point that you make that that yeah, stars are influenced by where a kid is going to school or which schools are looking at him." Back to Rob Howe for some more recruiting updates. Since we recorded that original segment you just heard, there have been some important updates in football recruiting for the Hawks and some really good new commits. Rob, can you give us the latest news in terms of new commits for the Hawks? Sunday was a big day. They had uh, they had quite a few kids on officials this past weekend, and the biggest a commitment they got was a guy who who actually had officially visited earlier in the season. That was Rodney Coe out of Edwardsville, Illinois, big 6'3", 240-pound running back, which, uh, you know, with, with incredible running skills, good speed for that size. A lot of schools thought he might be able to play linebacker, and he probably could at the next level. Just a tremendous athlete. Four stars, I think, scout.com, we have him ranked 11th. Uh, the 11th best running back in the 2011 class nationally. Just a tremendous, I mean, just a tremendous get, uh, really upgrades this class. You, you, you know, you hate to put too much stock into stars, but at the end of the day, when these rankings come out, you know, from Scout and Rivals and ESPN and all the other services, that's what it's based on. It's based on stars, and with four stars and as highly ranked as, as Coe is, that's going to boost Iowa up, and if they can get a couple more kids on their board that are in that four four or five star area this could end up being a you know a, a, a significant class in terms of projections now we've had that before and it hasn't panned out but uh i just think rodney cole for what iowa needed at running back after what's happened uh at the end of the season with joel hampton and brandon wegger and you know the uncertainty with adam robinson and rodney cole is just a huge get and then another need was wide receiver and they ended up with jacob hillier a six four two hundred pound uh, wide receiver out of uh, Somerset, Texas, which is down by San Antonio. Not not a, uh, opposite of, of Coe. He's not ranked. Probably will end up a two or three star because he signed with Iowa. Uh, but I've heard nothing about but good things about this kid. He's coached by Coy and Ty Detmer's father, Sonny Detmer, at Somerset. Uh, Coy is actually the quarterback coach at the high school. Uh, they throw the ball all over the place. This kid had, you know, mid-80s in catches, uh, 1,600 yards and 18 touchdowns. Production has been there this season and beyond. I don't know. It's, it's one of those cases where we start to think, ah, maybe this is one of those, you know, Bob Sanders type fly under the radar recruits. We'll have to see. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of eyes on Texas recruits. Uh, and this kid only had offers from, and I say only because you figure down there, one of the big boys would have stepped up with the numbers he had. But 
Texas San Antonio, UTEP, and Colorado State. But the, but Sonny Detmer told me that there are other schools sniffing around, Texas A&M and Texas, to name a few. And this kid's pretty uh, loyal. Iowa was on him early. And they, you know, the coaches and, and, and Jacob pretty much said, I'm, you know, I'm down to Iowa and Colorado State. And, you know, thanks for coming in late, but no thanks. So may have a diamond in the rough here. We'll have to see. Mikael McCall was in last weekend for a visit. Interestingly enough, and I feel pretty confident saying this, he gave the Iowa coaches some type of indication that he was coming, that he was going to be a Hawkeye before he left his visit. I don't know if he came out and say, you know, I just got to go talk this over with some family and friends and then I'm committed or what. But I think Iowa felt pretty comfortable that they had this kid. Then fast forward to mid-afternoon, early to mid-afternoon, Rodney Coe commits, another Illinois running back. And then this kid does an interview a few hours after that, McCall, I mean, saying that he's not committed to Iowa. His running backs coach told me that uh, he's going to stick with Michigan State. Then I had Michigan State fans saying, hey, the scholarship's not there. So this is kind of a clouded, muddy situation here. I don't think he'll end up at Iowa. The door's probably, I don't want to say closed because I don't have that type of information, but when you do something like that, you know, maybe there was a, uh, lines were crossed in communication, but I think he gave them indications that he was going to be there. I don't know if the door's still open for him. I would not be surprised if he ends up at Illinois uh, with Ron Zook and uh, uh, some, another kid that was in last week that had some not no, so nice things to say about Iowa, and that was Donnie Kirby. Didn't like his uh, defensive back from Pittsburgh, did not like his visit to Iowa, and then committed to Illinois the next day. I think there's a pretty good match, a boxing match, sparring match between Iowa and Illinois right now. They're in on a lot of the same recruits. There's a kid from Tampa Bay, Carl Williams, a defensive back, who's visiting Iowa on January 14th, who was originally verbal to Illinois. So there's a lot of this back and forth going on between the two schools so it'll be interesting when they do meet again down the road there are going to be guys probably that had committed to one school and are playing at the other school so just kind of stokes the rivalry a little bit i hope they i hope they play illinois it seems ridiculous to not play a school that's that's close to you for six years but you know as everybody said you got to give up something a little bit when you, you do the conference expansion and divisions but it seems kind of you know having illinois and wisconsin off the schedule next year seems kind of goofy all party guides great plan Second and ten. Pryor still behind the line. Has another receiver open deep. It floats a bit. Oh. And it's picked off in the end zone on the deflection. It wound up in the hands of Micah Hyde. What a great pick. Prater and Sash there. And it got deflected into the hands of Micah Hyde, the sophomore. His third interception of the year. HawkeyesMike.com, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. www.HawkeyesMike.com. Call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Just call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Also, visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, the latest Hawkeye and Big Ten videos, and team schedules. Check us out on Twitter and Facebook. And don't forget, you can subscribe to 
all Hawkeye's Mike podcasts through iTunes. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs on Hawk Central, Hawkeye Insider, and in the Daily Iowa. Postgame show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. Reisner in motion on first and goal. Coker again. Touchdown, Iowa. Hey, we need to see this Coker kid some more. He's a big, powerful kid. And boy, they inserted him, and he shows his power and his speed. To join us late, Coker started a running back for Adam Robinson, who was held out of the first quarter for a minor academic issue. Coker was excellent in the first quarter. Now he's back into the fourth quarter, and it's his first career touchdown. Two plays after the interception. Iowa goes back on top. Hawkeye's Mike Football Shows are brought to you in part by Prefins Botanicals Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll-free 800-883. 0842 Marsh Cook for all your investment needs. Our thanks again to ABC, ESPN, and the Big Ten Network for the season highlights. And thanks to our regular contributors, Marv Cook, Pat Hardy, Rob Howe, and Sean Patchett. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate. By phoning and making your own voice heard, call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes, all the time, on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.